0: You can now hear movie heaven movie hell on Stitcher. Stitcher is ready on demand. Listen anytime, anywhere. Stitcher is an award winning free app that lets you listen to all your favourite shows plus discover from 20,000 news, entertainment and sports shows. You can also create your own custom playlists. Stitcher is available on iOS, Android, Nook, iPad and in over 4 million card dashboards. You can stream your favourite podcasts from Stitcher. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the app store. And please leave us a review and rating on Stitcher. Thank you. Welcome to Movie Heaven, Movie Hell, with me, Simon Aiken, and
1: and I'm Keith Isles, and we're joined by two guests.
2: I'm Mike Tack, <laughs> back again to uh, sort these blokes out. And I'm Clive Ashton,
3: uh, filmmaker, regular guest uh, contributor to uh, Movie Heaven, Movie Hell from the A to Z of SFF podcast.
2: It's good yeah, to man. know you're regular, Clive. There
1: you go. <laughs> And we we are, as Clive said, all independent filmmakers that enjoy discussing movies and related topics. And on the subject of related topics, the reason we've all got together for this podcast extra is because um, we were all lucky enough to go and attend the John Carpenter Release the Bats in concert this Halloween. We're also joined by my good friend, uh, Chris, who gets honourable mention here. And I think uh, Jason Braun, one of our... uh, contributors also attended the previous day so uh so we thought we'd do a little podcast about it
2: yes also dr swifty uh one of the fright festers i know attended and uh andy thomas who had actually had a horrific time up in manchester but we'll talk about that later all right okay, okay. <laughs> yeah you didn't know about it, that did you but,
1: but it, <laughs> it was it was great to see the legend that is John Carpenter, um, you know, live on stage with his band, uh, basically playing, y- y- you know, the themes from his films, whilst it was, you know, cut <coughs> together with um, scenes of his films on the on the uh, on the, on the big screen, and it was just uh, well, I-, I really got a buzz out of it. I thought it was the perfect thing to do over Halloween.
0: Firstly, I think. We- All three of us need to uh, thank you for the tickets, Keith.
1: Thank you, Keith. Oh, yes. Yeah, you're welcome. You're
0: welcome. And it was was a great night.
1: Happy Halloween, guys. You're welcome.
0: (laughs) Did
2: you pay for everyone, Keith? I thought it was only me you paid for.
1: Ah, there you go. There you go.
2: Oh, (laughs) he's going to want something, Simon. You know it. He's going to call that favour back in the future.
1: Yeah. yeah. I'm making this film and I need you all to help. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Remember those tickets? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Indeed. yeah. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it was, it was awesome to, this, this was held at the, uh, the Trotty, <coughs> um, theater in London, which is kind of a fairly old sort of art deco type, um, building wasn't it it was quite an yeah. interesting place where it was S-
2: situated in a interesting is another word for hell hole <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what i mean it's like <laughs> the worst part of the east enders ah. disgusting uh, i'm yes. not used to that sort of filth am i there you go i
1: forgot we've got mike on so this particular edition is rated r for
2: rowdies right mike yeah <laughs> <laughs> <Yeehaw>. <laughs> yeah yeah so, Keith, what made you, um, what prompted you to be this this fit of generosity when, when you saw it? Did you just, did something just click inside you and you go, you know what, this is going well, to be one of the few chances we get to see this old geezer?
1: Well, funny enough, uh, when we did, myself and Simon did a podcast extra where we had uh, Jason Braun as one of our um, guests, who's a uh, horror writer, uh, writes yeah. novels and screenplays and is a regular fright fester as well. And um, afterwards, when we were having a drink, he mentioned that he was going to this. And I didn't even realize, you know, and I was like, oh, wow, when's that? And he said that uh, it was Halloween, but the, the date was completely sold out. But because of popularity, they'd, um, they, they'd issued a second date. So when I got home, I got straight on the Internet and, uh, and got it sorted, basically. And I thought, who are the people who want to go? Uh, you three guys were obvious, but also I knew my mate, Chris uh was a you know a massive fan of 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 Carpenter and particularly likes his music and whatever. So that's that's what prompted me, basically. I thought, yeah, let's do it. And nice I'm one. glad we did. Yeah. <laughs> mm,
2: <laughs>
1: but thank well, you, Jason, for the for for you know letting us know about it. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I thought the venue, if they'd have turned the lights up, you would have seen like how rough it looked inside. But once the lights were down, it was a fabulous example of an Art Deco theatre, wasn't it? it? sort of looked like a, what an Odeon would look like years ago. Um, so I, apart from... I mean, I didn't have too much trouble getting there. It's just, it just such a bizarre place to go and do something like that. Um, normally, it would be something like the O2 or some sort of Wembley Arena or something like that. But... Um, we had great tickets. We were in the balcony, weren't we? There were these yeah pe- there was people sitting in front of us, and they had these these tables, and it meant that they were going to get bad neck ache because they were sat sideways to the stage. Um, I was glad, as I did say, I hate support bands; they're a total waste of time for me, <laughs> and um, because I'm not interested. And uh, so I was pleased that we didn't have to endure some horrific um, support band.
0: Here's a question for you guys. If there had been a support band, who should it have been?
1: Rob Zombie.
2: (laughs) Well, actually, I would have liked that. (laughs) No, no, his music. I like his music, so I would have liked that. Uh, Or Alice Cooper. Um, That would have been quite good as well. That would have been relevant as well. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, because he's been in one of his films, hasn't he?
1: he has that's right he's mm. been prince of darkness um, in fact he was he was in one of the clips when he was doing the prince of darkness music
2: so yeah, yeah. so so the format of the show was that um it it was really nice because i mean i know it sounds stupid these days but it was a live band they're they all good musicians um you know there may be some it was all even though there was electronics because obviously when he writes his music he uses more than one keyboard he, he tracks up stuff but he had his son didn't he on one of the other keyboards who was who was very good
1: that's right yeah cody carpenter it, w- it was good ba- basically he he would um he sort of went through most of his his filmography certainly the filmography that he did the uh the scores for um plus obviously a, a tribute to uh morricone with with doing his um his his thing intro um yeah uh, but then he also he, he he released an album with uh some of unreleased movie music that he he sort of played in between those things to make it into sort of a full-length concert didn't it well
3: it's just two albums now uh, yeah lost lost themes isn't it lost themes and lost themes well lost themes one and two
2: i uh, so lost some lost themes of- yeah, I ordered it straight away after the gig. Oh, there you sure. go. I'm going <laughs> to stick that. In. So he's achieved what he wanted, selling his album. Um, sorry, Clive. Come on. No, I mean I
3: don't think that, that. I think maybe the original idea was that they were that some of some of the ones on the first album were ideas he'd had for themes for uh, for for films, but but he, he, you know with the success of the first one, I think the second one, it's, it's, it's more just sort of music that, that he's interested in making. So, yeah, but uh, I, it, I thought it made for a nice contrast, uh, with the filmic stuff. Um, Absolutely, I mean, it, it maybe would have been nice to have a bit more visually going on behind the band uh, on the screens when, uh, when he was, when they were playing the lost themes. Um, cause obviously when they were playing this, the, uh, excerpts from, uh, from their films uh you know the, the themes uh, from the fog or whatever then they would have clips from that they would have montage clips from the films behind them so yeah yeah, it's, uh, yeah. but yeah no, it, it was i mean uh, i i thought you know live they came across very well the, the new stuff
1: was played behind
0: when they were, when mm. they were playing those tracks but yeah they when they when they did um, you know the, the 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 music from the films it was it, it, it seemed to come alive a bit more than when they were doing uh, the stuff from the albums. I mean I, I specifically like the bit where um, they all put sunglasses on for they live
1: yeah. <laughs> yes yeah that, that, that was that was fun I mean they, they live is, is a great film and uh, obviously, you know, it was always intended to be as well as a sort of sci-fi action film, but, you know, obviously a, a social satire and, and commentary, but it, it, I'd forgotten sort of even how much it resonates now to the point that not only did they have, you know, all those hidden messages in the advertising, but they had drones, and I'd forgotten about that, and I was like, oh, wow, yes, it is literally like, like today. <laughs>
2: I saw a comment on Facebook and someone put a, a picture up there and, I, and there's some of my American friends and I just said to them, I said, uh, I actually think the aliens would possibly do a better job of running the government than the two abysmal choices you've got at the moment. So
1: <laughs> There but you t- go. The social
2: political statement. <laughs> so what did you guys think about, I, see, I would have almost liked John Carpenter in between the songs to talk a bit more myself, not rant, rant on for ages, but just maybe give us a little bit of an insight into how he maybe arrived at say a classic tune like the halloween riff or you know what i'm saying a bit maybe a bit more of the the thought process behind when he did various bits of music he sort yeah. of he, he didn't really talk that much, did he? He he had he, he almost was reading from a script, wasn't he? Was yeah, just... well, he,
1: he went the other extreme, because last Halloween I went to a similar thing, only I went with a, a girl I was seeing at the time, um, to see Alan Howarth, who is obviously one of his collaborators um, yeah. in a lot of his movies, do a similar thing. And it was uh, Alan Howarth doing uh, music over scenes from halloween's two through six and also uh escape from new york and uh but he he kind of went the other extreme because he 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 talked quite a bit about how he got involved in working with Carpenter and meeting Carpenter, which I found really interesting, but I could tell the girl I was with was getting kind of bored and thinking, Oh, this is geek stuff. Get on with the music, will you? Yeah. Sort of thing. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a tricky one.
2: <laughs> it is a tricky, it's tricky. I would just like to add a, I mean, I saw when I, cause I got there earlier than you guys, um, because you told me to get there extremely early. Um, <laughs> there was, uh, people that were coming out the front with various bits and pieces. And apparently that was the meet and greet, which was, what was it a hundred quid or something to meet John Carpenter and get him to speak yeah, something. Yeah, I'm sorry
1: guys. I failed you, didn't I? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I can understand it because he, <laughs> I heard something, I don't know whether you told me Keith, but they said that he was going to come over to Fright Fest one year. And then, then we heard that apparently he was, he was afraid of flying or some bullshit. Like that. I think it was Clive um, who told me that, or Simon. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like he will come over here when he wants to. So, um, but that's one of the other things that struck me was that he seemed to be really enjoying himself, um, which a, a lot of recent sort of john carpenter sort of interviews he's looked a bit fucked off isn't he so <laughs> yeah it was really nice to see him enjoying himself and getting a buzz because the crowd was it was a sellout yeah. crowd wasn't it yeah they're really oh, appreciative yeah, yeah yeah it was it
1: was it was pretty packed and um uh yeah you can tell he and the band had a lot of fun doing that
2: for sure i actually thought the music he played from his films is sort of Fell in with my perception of what are his greatest films really. Um, apart from maybe Vampires was missed off, but I, don't, I can't remember what the music is. It's probably a bit more forgettable. But generally speaking, he touched for me. He touched upon everything that I love about John Carpenter's films. You know, he, there wasn't one there really. I don't think that that doesn't really you know stand up as a good movie.
1: The yeah,
0: the theme tune to Starman would have been good to hear. That's that wasn't
3: what I
2: thought, him, but, was it? But, but again, he didn't he didn't uh, do that one, did he? No,
0: but yeah. he didn't do the thing either. But they played that one.
2: True. Yeah. Maybe musically, I don't know. Maybe there's elements there. I don't know. I, I, I'm not that familiar with Starman like you are, so because um, it's not really the horror-y type thing.
0: an alien being that's come from outer space and he's learning how to be human. And it's yeah. it's, it's more believable than Keanu Reeves in The Day the Earth Stood
2: Still. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> I've forgotten about that film. I've struck mm. it from my memory. Which um, one?
0: Starman or uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still?
2: <laughs> Day the Earth Stood Still.
1: <laughs> um, I mean, I mean the, the focus was very much on his horror stuff uh obviously with the ha- you know for the halloween and uh, no it, it it was great i mean um we got everything from
3: in the mouth of madness and the
0: fog the rest were you know, prince, of, you know, prince, prince of prince of darkness. darkness oh prince of darkness but i mean you had escape from new york you had "A uh, assault on precinct 13 you had they live
3: yeah they're no, all
2: no, uh, genre films yeah mm. no No Dark Star. No Dark uh, Star,
3: no. Thank
2: God. (laughs) 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 That you started up with the Sort on Precinct 13, which which that tune's been used in remixes and people that have done drum and bass and all that, haven't they? They've nicked that riff. That was used in Xenon, wasn't it? Xenon 2, yes. Yeah. Yep. You didn't think I was going to know that, did you? <laughs> well, you didn't
0: bring it up.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I caught you out. Um, so it, I thought for my, me because I've been to a few gigs in my long years, and uh, that was a cracking gig. I enjoyed every second of it. I liked all the all of the the lost themes uh, because there's lots of the the chord structures and things are very sort of heavy metal in 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 the sort of you know the notes they use and things like that, so th- that's why I sort of like his music. As you know, even though it's keyboards, I mean, there's some good guitaring in it. I like I like the guitar player; he was pretty good, good at messing around with sustain and things, which I appreciate. So, yeah, um, no, uh, it, it it was a it was a
1: great gig, and and this is the thing. I mean, when we talk about movies uh, on these podcasts, we're often referencing the composers and obviously we all know as filmmakers how important music is to 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 the craft of filmmaking and Mm. um you you, you know there are there are a few exceptions but not not many not many directors you know also compose their music and do the music as well and he is he is certainly um one of
3: them that's always done that and uh, well we've we've got another one Keith, you realise you have another one on the line right now?
2: Yeah, I do. I do a bit. Yeah.
3: Mike Oh right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you yeah. remember him? The other, the other. <laughs>
2: yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. He's kind same of with carpenter. <laughs> <isn't he>? Yeah. Underneath, <laughs> <laughs> a piece of chewing gum on the sole of his shoe. That's where I am. <laughs> um, but no, that's why I I'm on the other foot <laughs> because I, I've <laughs> yeah. got a, a musical, you know, affliction and. Um, I've, I've often used GarageBand just to knock out a few guitar riffs at the end of my little shorts, you know, just because I couldn't be bothered to get any library music or wait for someone to compose it. Um, I actually composed on the keyboard, on a MIDI keyboard, the creepy sort of soundtrack for um, The Allotments, which I was quite pleased about because it had a bit of a zombie flesh-eaters vibe. So it's something I'm going to do in the future, I think. I do enjoy yeah. messing around with synths because, especially if they're cheesy eighty synths, they always sound great, um, but um,
1: exactly. I mean, it's such a s- sound of that that time period as well. I mean, you, you know, we 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 all reference you, you know us guys when we've chatted about this about how Carpenter's films were very much of of you know our love of movies growing up. You know, we, we, we yeah. grew up on Carpenter's films, and you, you know, it's that old thing. Music is one of those those senses uh, when when you hear it that 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 always makes you go, go there and remember it. And I know for me, every time I hear the Halloween theme, you know, I get tingles up my spine and, uh, you know, I remember the time I first saw it, you know, when, when I probably shouldn't have when I was a kid, (laughs) but you you know, and how it freaked me out.
2: (laughs) Well, his music is very creative. It's very unique. And it's his calling card that, that ties in with his filmmaking. Um, and you know, A John Carpenter film. If you know, if you're aware of his work, he has his style, and that's what I like. He's got his own style. He's not just some generic, you know, blockbuster type director. Yeah, even with the the thing, and he didn't do his own music. Morricone was sensibly tried to ape Carpenter, Uh, and it's quite a complex set of notes and things. When I listened to it previously, watching the film, I didn't really notice it, but live, it really came to me how you know Morricone did a very because I thought oh maybe Carpenter took over and Morricone did bugger all but when I listened to the structure of it and everything it's like actually he did a fantastic job Morricone on taking the best of John Carpenter and then putting a bit of himself in there I thought it was fantastic um sort of leads me on to you know I think as soon as we left there, we were all checking our phones and looking on Amazon and seeing what Blu-rays we could buy. Um, uh, I bought the Christine, um, the recent release of the Christine. It's a good transfer, actually. I watched it last night because it's my wife's favourite um, film, and um, I've been lo- I've ordered In the Mouth of Madness, but it's called some sort of German version. But it's the only one you can get, which really pees me off because it's only the elitist uh, raincoat brigade that have the uh, multi-region Blu-ray players like Keith, <laughs> who, who, who get these imports and then, you know, sitting there in their underpants watching them going, oh, this is region A. Yeah, well, I'm um, gonna get,
1: I am going to get the <laughs>
2: shout Factory
1: Collector's Edition for um, The Thing because, even though the thing had loads on it anyway uh there's two new commentary tracks on top of the previous one and uh there's there's a shitload of new documentaries and stuff so uh i'm definitely getting that
2: for sure yes don't blame it i mean i would if if i had one i just can't be bothered all that faffing around but um
1: i I don't
0: know mike you 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 sound kind of jealous there you know
2: yeah i am i am (laughs) jealous I'm just buy a
1: multi-region
2: blu-ray it's, the, it's not like they're not available you know how <laughs> much electrical shit i've got already keith <laughs> there's just no space especially when i get my 65 inch tv so there's gonna be no space <laughs> so
0: <laughs> yeah, you, know, like, you can slot one more piece of electronics it's not like you're gonna it's the whole place is going to explode if you no, put no. one more piece
2: yeah i know i know um but, yeah, so the Screen Factory does some really good region. They do uh, a really nice collector's edition of um, Prince of Darkness. Although I have pre-ordered the Assault on Precinct 13 one, Keith. Have you seen that, the region? Yeah, oh, it
1: looks great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks really good. I'm excited about that coming out. Yeah, for sure. see, look, I've, I've yeah. just
2: emptied his wallet of another £25 there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's very easy to do that. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. So, so then it sort of made me just think, you know what? He's an old boy, you know, I'm not saying he's going to croak soon and I don't want him to, but like a lot of directors, their earlier works are are just when they're they're struggling and they're having to make do with low budgets and things like that is often the most creative work they do. As soon as they move into the studio system, they get fucked over by the producers and the movie studios and their vision gets lost and, you know, all that stuff. And it just made me think, you know, the, his body of work we've seen so far really puts him, when he's gone, it, we'll look back, and my personal view, I'll look back and I'll say, you know, he's he's a very, very like, he's on a par with the West Cravens. I mean, Dario Argento um, <laughs> is... Yeah. His early work was phenomenal, but his recent work was a pile of shit. Um, um, oh, we all know that. Mike,
0: Mike, but... Mike, you can you can drop it. I know you can say Argento properly. I know you. I know you've just added that for the fans. You know, it's I, a did. Fan I know it has to
2: be done. It's like these little Easter eggs. Um, so, 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 what do you guys think? Because I think he's on a par with a Hitchcock or a De Palma. In his own field and his genre, I think he's got, he's a director who literally can used to be able to sell a film just on his name because it's always John Carpenter's this or John Car yeah you know, even John Carpenter's Christine is written by Stephen King. You know, mm. um, what do you guys think about his body of work and the impression that you know he's left on cinema? Well,
1: we we did do
2: uh, one of our first podcasts. We we actually did do
1: one on on John Carpenter when we got to see, and uh, I think from Simon and my picks on that, it kind of it kind of uh, cemented what you said, Mike, about a lot of his best work was some of his earlier work, and then later in his his career, um, it kind of went dropped off a little bit in terms of uh, of quality. Um, just, you you know, that, that was sort of apparent from the films that we picked for that, but, um, but yeah, in terms of his legacy, um, I mean, you you know, certainly, you you know, like certainly, you know, comparison to, to De Palma and whatever, then, 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 yeah, I think within his genre, um, you, you know, he will be remembered in that way. And well, hopefully he'll be around for a lot longer yet.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I want to say is that um, he's he was certainly a director ahead of his time because um, his films didn't do, a lot of his films didn't do well at the time, but they've gone on to uh, great acclaim and big audiences. Mm. And I, I don't think he got screwed over by the studio system because they always let him have his way. I mean, look at the thing. Yeah. You know, Universal never turned around to him and said, oh, you can't have this, you can't do that. Uh, he more or less got his way. It was just unfortunate but when the film came out, E.T. came out that same year. And exactly. and audiences flocked to E.T. and not to The Thing. But if you if you look now, yeah, uh, The Thing is held in higher regard than E.T. If you look at the show Stranger Things, there's a Thing poster on the, the wall of the kid's bedroom and not an E.T. Yeah. Which, you know. As, as some people some uh, nitpickers have put you know oh that's not correct because they wouldn't have had that poster but but for fans you know of that john yeah. looking back seeing a thing poster there is you know the, we just love it i mean it's a great poster uh it's just it was just it was just unfortunate that his films were ahead of their time and the audiences weren't quite uh, prepared to sort of watch those, you know, to, to see those films. I mean, look at Blade Runner. Blade Runner is exactly the same. It's a film that was ahead of its time that built its audience mm. over years.
2: It, I don't feel good about it, but at the time when his films, I was an avid Carpenter fan. I saw the thing like at least three or four times in the theater because I thought it was one of the best films I'd ever seen at the time. Um, and uh, I was quite surprised when I heard in recent years, because I know that on video, that's where a lot of directors and films have gained cult status and have really picked up in, you know, in the credibility rankings that people have then since watched them on VHS and then DVD and things like that. And they look back and they thought, you know what, that was a really good movie, but I didn't realize at the time, but I, re- I realized at the time, because it was, it ticked all my, all of the boxes for me, all of his films. Um, I loved all of his movies and, um, I even liked the memoirs of an invisible man, which he didn't play the music for. <laughs> um, yes. but, uh, what do you think? What's your viewpoint, Clive?
3: Um, I think I came to, uh, Carpenter a bit later than you guys. I didn't really grow up watching his movies. I i you. Yeah, you're I, you're I, young. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I discovered him through, uh, through, uh, the program movie drone. I don't know if Ex, you guys remember Alex that Cox. Yeah. Uh, when Alex Cox was fronting it, uh, which, for any listeners not aware, it was this thing on BBC Two where basically uh, the uh, cult filmmaker Alex Cox, who who did uh, Repo Man and Sid and Nancy, uh, would come on and sort of do a uh, an introdu- introduction to uh, to a pair of cult films, uh, and it was like this like weekly thing, and basically it was a real education in sort of uh, independent and alternative cinema. And, hmm. uh and so I th- so the first carpenter film i would have seen would have been uh, Assault on precinct 13. yeah all right
1: i so- i saw the thing that way through through movie Drone because it was really or it really good because what they did was they played howard Hawkes you know the thing from outer space followed by john carpenter's the thing so i saw them back to back on television um mm. and then i watched most of the others on video i know i know with um with with Halloween, uh, my dad, uh, it, was, it was one Christmas and my dad rented Halloween and Halloween 2 both on video and we watched them back to back and I remember I was sort of blown away by the fact that the second film picked up exactly where the first one left off and, and for me, that's, I've always seen that as one complete story even though he didn't direct the second part. I, I always looked at that as sort of one complete, you know, one night If you like. Um, But yeah, yeah, that that was definitely a good way to uh, to catch a lot of those movies. I don't think I saw any of his films at the cinema until quite late because most of his, you know, most of his work when I was growing up was, you you know, was on VHS or or television um, where where I saw most of it. well that's that's
2: that's my age speaking there because obviously I, i in those days i had to go to the cinema because we didn't have vhs until i was about 17 18 and even then they were like really expensive pieces of hardware these massive vhs players yeah
0: um
2: but um you know uh what was your first introduction to carpenter simon
0: mine um for me it was an escape from new york uh, my dad rented it on the vhs and i remember mm. really really loving it i actually went into school like the following week and um i had to write a story and for english and i had this whole i, I had this whole sort of thing where it was in the future and that uh, we had like robocops on every corner and new york had been turned into a prison <laughs> and um i remember my english teacher picking up on that he says oh you've seen that escape from new york i went yeah he said i read the book and i went okay (laughs) Mm. obviously obviously he'd read the adaptation yes uh, because adaptations were very big at the time uh they were yeah but he the way he made it sound it was like the book came out first and then the film but as we all know yeah. that's not the case
2: and as we all know teachers are stupid <laughs> <Right>. yeah
1: <laughs> th- 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 thanks mike <laughs> um no uh, but, but um <laughs> well <laughs> you, you, you know, just
2: proved my point yet again <laughs> yeah well, <no>. um <laughs>
1: uh, but what, what one of one of the uh one of that's of course one of the other brilliant things about carpenter is uh you know not only is he this great director that, that 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 creates this great music for his films but of course it, you know he also writes his own material um you know okay sometimes that they're, they're adaptations but or, or remakes or, or whatever but you know most of the time he's largely involved in 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 the scripting and the uh in the shaping of it as, as well as actually the direction so um you, you know he really is uh
2: Creative on all the strands, all those. Would you you say he's probably the most creative independent low budget filmmaker? I don't think that's an unfair comment. He's 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 up there, isn't he? I mean, I know we've got George Romero, who's firmly independent uh, filmmaker. uh, I'm trying to think of any others, obviously not in any other genre. I'm sure there's independent filmmakers in other genres that uh, have been very successful. Mm, but, but I mean, um, is
0: John Carpenter an independent filmmaker? I mean, he's. he's or low budget. Low budget, yeah. but I mean, he's worked within this studio system. I mean, as we said, he's worked for Universal, he's worked for 20th Century Fox, and yeah. even up to sort of, you know, recently uh his films have been re- re- released through studios so it's a bit hard to say he's independent i would say he's um you know the sole creator of stuff yeah you know he he writes the scripts he uh you know he
2: directs he casts it. a big shadow yeah. over his material isn't yeah. he yeah
1: yeah oh big time and and also and i, and I we discussed this on the on the cuff the podcast that we did but um Uh, I also think that a lot of credit, I mean, sadly, she is no longer with us, but, um, you you know, when when, exactly when he worked with the producer, Deborah Hill, when they were together, um, you, you, you know, she, a lot of his best films, she, she was, you know, very, very influential on as well and got involved in part of the writing
2: for some of them as well. I totally agree with that. It's like Argento. And uh, Nicolodi, uh, his wife at the time, he, his his material was amazing when he was with her. And then when he wasn't with her, it, it all went down the toilet. Which which lead, makes you wonder how much you know they had a considerable influence on on aspects of the the film, or maybe even maybe even to the degree of someone saying, "Oh, look at that script," and they say, "No, that's not very good." But what about this one? You know. I mean, Hitchcock was, uh, helped uh, a lot by his wife, Alma, wasn't he? Big yeah. time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, It just goes to show the women have a lot of, um, can have a lot of impact on, um, um, even though there's this big hoo-ha about, you know, the latest trend is to say, all oh, women directors, there's not enough of them. And then they're everywhere at the moment. Um. It, they they st- they still had an impact, even though yeah. the the main person carrying the films was I don't know their partner or their husband or whatever.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, mean we had really it. We, we had point. it with we had it with Heard, and Cameron as well. Yeah, you know, on, on yeah. his earlier earlier work. Um, mm. And y- y- you know, obviously, she's producing like The Walking Dead now, and she's plenty of other things. But um, y- y- you know, uh, def- definitely some of those partnerships, wh- when the combination's
2: right, can work really well. You know. It seems to be almost genre specific as well, doesn't it? It's in the sort of genre we like and we enjoy. Those sort of partnerships seems to have flourished, haven't they?
1: Interesting, yeah, absolutely.
2: So when when John Carpenter dies and you know they release a box set <laughs> with everything on on region A, you'll be buying it, won't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know,
1: I, I hope I hope we don't face that day for a long while, but uh, but. Um, Certainly, uh, you know, he, he's another one that if if you do like the home media stuff, um, Carpenter contributes to quite a lot of his films because most of them he's done uh, commentaries on. Often yeah. when he gets his buddy Kurt Russell with him, they can be quite amusing commentaries uh, when the pair of them get together. Uh, mm. By the way, what are your thoughts on this? You know, again, we mentioned they live and, you know, it was good to see um the footage from that, and I always enjoyed. They live, but um, do you always feel it would have been, you know, had it been Kurt Russell, it would have just elevated the film that little bit more. Uh
2: I don't agree. No,
1: because, I mean, it's a question.
2: I'm not. It's not a. Statement. Yeah, I don't. I don't agree <laughs> with that. I, I think that you wouldn't have got one of the screen's best fist fights in history had you not had the wrestler Roddy Piper in the role in that film. Good point. He put together that amazing, amazing fight, which is, you know, I know you can get sort of Kung Fu action and you get the raid, which you've not seen. uh, And, uh, you know, Bruce Lee and all these sort of masterful um, cinematic fight scenes. But the one for a brutal street fight, that is very, very well done, I think. It's it's a highlight of the movie for me. Um, And I think it took them, like, you know, Roddy Piper took him and... uh, Keith David, and they practiced and practiced, and they did a lot of the stunts themselves, you know. Um, So, uh, my personal thing is, I love They Live. It's one of my favourite films. Oh, it's great! you know, I Um, agree. And um, I, I I, do you have the Blu-ray of that? Yeah, yeah, I have actually. It's quite, it's really good quality. Actually, it's a really good one. The the Region Two one is very good. Um, uh, Luckily, I met. Roddy Piper, mm-hmm. the year before he uh, his untimely demise, and he's a lovely chap, really nice guy. Remember, I was with Tim Richards, the makeup guy that works with us quite a bit, and uh, he said, "Oh, you know, I really like your film." When he got to meet Roddy, he said, "I really love." Uh, is it um, Hell Comes to Frogtown.
0: It is indeed, yeah.
2: Yeah, and he was quite. He had a big smile on his face when he said that because that's the one where he gets. Um, not molested by women, but he's the only man that can conceive or something in that film, isn't it? Or something?
0: Um yeah, you know, it's it's something like that. I mean he's Yeah. I, I think the he's going into Frogtown to rescue a woman who's who can get pregnant, but I, I think also that he has like um yeah, he's quite fertile.
2: He's the only fertile male or something. Yeah. Um yeah,
0: it's it, it's a it's a bonkers film. Yeah.
2: It is. And, and he actually yeah, he laughed, and um, I mean, whether that was the fact that he was on some sort of ganja, because he was absolutely wasted when they did the Q&A with him and uh, Meg Foster, that, the woman that was in They Live, the one with the, the amazing blue eyes. Piercing
1: blue eyes, yes. Well, yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, she gave me a free autograph as well, which is quite nice, because I chatted to her for, for a bit, and... You know, um, you know, massaged her ego a bit and she gave me a nice free autograph because so uh, saved me $25, which is nice.
0: Any of you guys actually met John Carpenter though?
2: No, no, I wish, but no, no, I have. No.
0: I've met John Carpenter. Yeah. Whereabouts? I was over in Orlando, it was, um, when my film was screening over there, and um, oh, cool, they were, um, they were giving him an award for, uh, you know, his sort of lifetime achievement in horror films and stuff. And uh, yeah, yeah, I got to sit next to him. and unfortunately, oh, really? Yeah, unfortunately I didn't get... Uh, it, it was one of the things where uh, it was right at the end of the festival, which was also a, a horror convention as well that he was appearing in. And um, hmm. he literally wanted to get home that night. And so there was a car waiting for him with the engine running to get him to the airport to fly him home and um he they he came in he sat down and they showed like clips from his work and then he went up received his prize he said thank you very much and now i must go and then off he went and um i think what we saw uh on stage with you know sort of not much he didn't say that much i think it was kind of true when he's um when he accepted his prize i don't think we were going to get a long speech anyway even if the engine was running so i think that's just how he is i think he just um he doesn't go into long speeches or talks a lot he's just very i guess to the point
2: hmm. he, well he does on his commentaries though in his interviews he seems quite open and up for it but maybe he's getting paid yeah,
1: yeah he had a good he had a good interview <laughs> uh, about the magnificent seven uh the original um and uh, you know he he talks about that you know his fondness
2: for that and uh, yeah quite quite a bit you know so mm. Um, mm. so all right, I think Simon frightened him off who sat next to him oh my god I've got this bloke that's staring at me all the time and I need to get out, <laughs> out of here quick <laughs> getting stalked by this Brit
0: <laughs> well that was that was the only time I saw him at the festival, Um I wasn't able to get into his Q and A. But uh, I hear he got asked, his, the, the normal question he always gets asked, which is, what mm. do you think of your re- the, films, the remakes of your films? Which he always replies with, well, uh, as, as long as they pay me, I'm quite happy. Well, which
2: is yeah. fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, interestingly, I, when I watched the Christine the other night, I then watched some of the making of behind-the-scenes stuff, and in that he said it was actually one of his smoothest productions ever. Yeah. Um, they said they had like 21 different cars for that film, you know, cause the cars get crushed and mashed and smashed. Um, and he said, yeah, it was, it was easy. It was like the easiest gig he's ever done. You know, even though it was quite a big studio finance production, they brought him in cause apparently he's coming in off the back of a flop cause he had a, cause the, the, the thing was not very successful. And that sounds so
1: bizarre now, doesn't it?
2: Yeah. They actually had access to the book from, cause they actually had the script or the, or the manuscript of Christine. So they actually were in production before the book became the number one bestseller on a hardback. Now actually said the film was out when the paperback was then just released. So, um, they had a big, uh, jump on, on the marketplace with that film. um, Although they did, like, what always happens, they they have to change things for for plot and you know to fit the movie um, version of the King book. You know, they, sometimes they tweak them, don't they? <laughs> um, but I I saw him. His cigarette burns was very good. Anyone get the Masters of Horror stuff? Clive, have you got Masters of Horror? But uh, I I did watch Cigarette Burns, and that thought that was very good. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I must admit, I've not seen that. It's well, worth a while. horror. Yeah, it's very good, yeah. It's
2: really well, not just that, some of the other directors I had on, they, they did some great stories.
0: Yeah, season one was brilliant. Uh season two was shit.
2: Yeah. I always like the one with the with the dentist and his woman gets burnt alive in the car thing because there's you look at her and she you think, oh she's attractive. And then when she's in the bath scene, she's got the most massive melons. Unbelievable. <laughs> I couldn't but be... <laughs> oh, I know it sounds sexy, sorry, what but...
1: episode's that? <laughs> yeah,
2: I'm gonna have to find out what it's called. But I will tell you what, even I was shocked. I was like, I was like, holy Christ, they're amazing. And um, in but the behind the scenes, there's some interesting anecdotes of where she was a little bit worried about the nude scene and all that sort of stuff um but for my opinion she didn't have anything to worry about at all (laughs) (laughs) and there's all our female (laughs) listeners gone (laughs) well no i'm just saying it's a really good episode
1: yeah no absolutely (laughs) Uh, the, the, the the last thing i saw of his was that the last film he did i think called the ward but
2: um so i've not seen I any of
1: that no I, d- I don't really remember much about it which probably says
2: a lot <laughs> so <laughs> it's probably uh, a, a pay-to-play job wasn't it we'll pay him and he'll come and do it and we've got the john carpenter name
0: yeah. Um what um, do you guys
2: think of vampires
0: I, I enjoyed vampires i mean um it was kind of like the last good film he made
2: james woods well anything with james
1: woods in is always fun isn't it but yeah yeah um it wasn't actually too bad i mean that 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 one we didn't pick as a, a movie hell um when we did it so uh well no because
0: yeah, fo- following that was ghost of mars and uh, i don't think anybody that can my say pick yeah, yeah
1: nobody
0: yeah. can say that was good no, no no
2: um so anyway i'll just like to say thanks keith for giving me the opportunity because that's a that really may be a once in a lifetime chance to see the master play his music and and they did it so well didn't they i mean they
1: did yeah yeah it was it, it certainly didn't disappoint and uh, you're right i mean i you know he he probably won't come back to england to play you know many more times um so i think it was good that we got that in and it, and it just seemed like a right thing to do for halloween um you know i love halloween as a time of year and obviously we celebrate it now a lot more over here than we used to um, but, uh, yeah, if our Halloween goes by and we don't actually do something, I always feel that I've kind of missed out a bit. So, um, yeah. it, you, you know, getting to do something like that kind of, uh, made Halloween special as well. So, and, it, and yeah. it was, and it was cool to see it with a bunch of mates that appreciate it. So all good. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I did hear some guys in front of me and they said, "I'll oh, be. I've waited 20 something odd years for this or something. So I don't know what he meant particularly by that, unless he meant to see John Carpenter in the flesh or something. But uh, they were everyone was really uh, appreciative, weren't they? I mean, there's all sorts of people there, weren't there? There's mm. quite a few people with their partners, and um, it was quite civilized and everything. Um, oh, yeah, going back to this, my friend um, Andrew Thomas He went to Manchester, the gig in Manchester, and he said it was so bad, the crush. They didn't have a balcony. It was all one level. People had such an appalling view. He said he only heard about two songs and then lots of people just left en masse because they just couldn't. I don't know whether they oversold the tickets for that venue, but apparently he's actually applying for a refund because he had a terrible time. Oh, it's a shame, really, because well, we had a fantastic time.
1: Well, yeah, I must admit. I mean, there was the option to buy just standing tickets, but I really didn't fancy that. I thought, you know what, um, you know, it's a sort of concert that that I think, you know, is appreciated more sort of sat with a good view than than sort of crushed up by the stage. You know, going deaf. <laughs> it's a different type of concert.
0: I have to say, Keith, uh, as somebody who goes to a lot of gigs now and, and usually is at the front, it's not not much of a crush. It really isn't, especially in that that kind of audience. I imagine most people would have, you know, there wouldn't have been anybody kind of pushing their way in or anything like that. It, it seemed It just seemed very civilized. Those who got there early, got to the front, you know. You know, they, they didn't have to worry about somebody pushing in or trying to get in there. So I I've, I must admit, uh, I, I wouldn't mind standing as uh, sitting was nice, but I don't mind standing either.
2: I don't know about you guys, but I felt like I was in the worst economy class flying seat in those seats. They were really packing them in.
3: But yeah, I still
2: appreciated it because my back is just so bad. If I was standing up for a couple of hours, I'd have been like a cripple afterwards. So I appreciate it, Keith. You know, in future, if we go anywhere else, yeah, seat in, mate, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I-, I actually stood at an Alice Cooper concert once years ago. There you go, as a, as a link to John Carpenter. There
0: you go, <laughs> yeah. indeed right so um final thought so if uh john carpenter tours again you guys want to go and see him again
2: oh for sure yeah especially if Keith's paying, definitely <laughs> <laughs> yeah but not indeed. manchester no 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 absolutely but no, um... I, I would definitely see it again i'd get my brother to come along because his music actually works i thought it might be a bit of a a tall order to listen to synth, mainly synth music, but when you're there with a live band and there's, uh, once the Alan Howarth era kicked in, there was more guitar, especially In the Mouth of Madness was a cracking tune, mm. love that guitar riff in that. I'd love to go again. How about you, uh, Clive? Yeah,
3: yeah, uh, it was a fantastic concert, so yeah, I'd absolutely go again.
0: Excellent, excellent. All right, well, so we'll end it in our normal fashion so um right, mike where can we find out about your work
2: uh if you just google me <laughs> you'll probably find something um give but, them your uh,
1: news mike tell the listeners
2: your news about your review oh yeah i, I was for some unknown reason because i was a bit bored at work i thought i'd scan imdb and I check and my little short film, Red Wolf Pines, someone from South End this year put on a eight eight out of ten review on it, which is quite nice. Oh, very nice. And they they got the joke, which is, which is actually pleasing, you know. So um They they understood uh, what we did, and he gave a glowing review, which I was quite pleased about. So it's better than being told your shit, I suppose.
0: (laughs) 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 Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, it's not going to uh,
2: (laughs) your reviews on uh, Amazon Prime, Um, but, uh, you know... it is, it's good to get a good positive review uh, and also I think congrats to Clive because he got his recent short film at the London F- Short Film Festival didn't you Clive? Uh, yeah thanks Mike uh, it was the yeah London
3: International Short Film Festival and uh, we op- we opened the festival there and it was a really nice uh, uh, sort of sold out uh, crowd at the uh, Shortwave Cinema in Bermondsey and uh, yeah a really nice event and uh, also got to catch up with uh, some of the cast and crew as well. So, yeah, it was was really good. So, and uh, hopefully might get into some more festivals following this. So, yeah.
2: Yeah, that's really cool. That's cool. Um, And uh, you're still doing your epic, aren't you, uh, Simon?
0: Yeah, I'm still doing my epic. Yeah. (laughs) It'll come
2: out one day. It'll come out one day. As I said, I I was talking to Keith earlier on, I've got an idea for a slasher film that I want to make next year. So... Um, and we may we may have to get you back, Clive. Oh, yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. You know the character I'm talking about. I think so, yeah. Yeah. So, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on a script and I'm going to knock a script out and then I'll get Keith to make it sound good <laughs> afterwards.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope you're going to charge him for that, Keith.
1: No, you know, no. Well, it depends. depends how big a role I've got in it.
0: Yeah, well, we'll come back. The rewrite will come
2: back with him with, like, you know, 90% of the screen time, probably. <laughs> yeah. uh, as long as I get uh, to kill you in a nasty way, Keith, that's all I'm bothered about. Oh, well, about. Yeah. That, that usually happens. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a given. Yeah. Anyway, so if you go to apocalypticconservatory.com, you can check out my shorts and uh, not my, my normal <laughs> shorts that I wear under my trousers my short films. You can check all that, that deviant oh. action going on there. Uh, how, about, how about you, uh, Clive? Uh, if you want to check out
3: my uh, short films, uh, the most recent ones, uh, if you go to vimeo.com and put in my name, Clive Ashton, you'll find them. Um, and if you're curious about uh, the podcast i do with rob wickings that's the a to z of sff and you'll find that at the a to z of s at a to z of sff.com
0: excellent and keith where can we find your work
1: yeah uh, well first of all if anybody listened to the halloween podcast that i hosted apologies that i marked this part completely because i, oh, I listened to it I work but <laughs> uh So, yeah, but, um, yeah, if you go to YouTube and put in British Isle, spelled E-Y-L-E-S, there are short films on there that I've written, produced, and directed that you can watch.
0: And, as always, you can find my work at independentrunnings.com. You can listen to this podcast on uh, iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, and all other good uh, podcast providers. Uh, You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search Movie Heaven Movie Hell. And uh, if you go to iTunes or Stitcher, please leave us a review and a rating. It helps get spread the word.
1: Yeah, spread the word. Share.
0: Even if it's Mike's
2: a sexist pig, that's fine.
0: (laughs) 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 I'm sure sure you get that on your podcast, Mike.
1: (laughs) I think think there's actually a podcast called that, isn't there?
2: Well, the sexist <laughs> pigs.
1: Yeah. Sex, sexist pig cast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oink,
2: oink. <laughs> oink. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, thanks for inviting us on, fellas. All right, guys. Yes, Cheers. Thanks okay. for on. Yes. Bye. All right. All right. Bye
0: now.